I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. All right, welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Wednesday, July the 19th. No Steve Palazzolo today, but we're joined by expert opinion for the first time ever, maybe on this podcast. And we're going to start talking some injuries. So, Vic Troja, yep. welcome to the show. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Dr. Monson's not going to cut it anymore. Dr. Palazzolo certainly isn't. So, <laughs> we've decided to find somebody that actually knows what they're talking about when yeah. it comes to injuries. Well, thanks for having me. I hope I can live up to all the expectations that you guys are setting for me here. All right. Well, uh, let, why don't you give us a little rundown of who you are and why we should listen to you when well, it comes to injuries? Uh, well, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, no, I'm some schmuck from the street. Uh, <laughs> so my name is Vic Troja and uh, I am a physical therapist, nutritional therapist and personal trainer actually here in Cincinnati and um, ex-collegiate high school football player. Uh, been dealing with injuries pretty much my whole life, whether I'm feeling them or I'm treating them. Right. And um, right now uh, I really specialize in, in treating some higher end athletes and um, being a fan of football, I can combine both worlds. And uh, so I can look at the injuries, look at the success rate of people after the rehab with them, and then kind of see them get back on field and return to play. Yeah, so I think this will be a fun show. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some general higher level thoughts about injuries, which are the ones to be worried about, which are relatively routine these days. Um, and then we'll get into some specific players as well. I asked Twitter which players, you know, people would like to hear about. And it, it makes you realize how many players get injured in any given year, like <laughs> right. just the number of guys that people were asking about. And every time it was like, yeah, that would be a good one. We should talk about him. Right. And this show would be, you know, five hours long if we hit all of them. The, the chat box on YouTube as well, I'm sure, can, can type in some suggestions as well. And we'll see who we get to. Right. We'll try and cover as many as we can. We're not going to get to them all because there's just too many. Um, but that is the, the unfortunate reality of football is. It's true. Man, it's an it's an attritional sport, and we're seeing it already. Like Jared Davis goes down with yep. torn ACL, done for the year, and we're not even training camp opened yesterday. No kidding. And it just you know it, it's hard to track and hard to keep keep follow of. But the one thing you got to see is that uh, um, injuries don't pick people. You know, it right. doesn't matter if you're the starting quarterback or if you're a third string linebacker. You know, they'll hit and they hit every team. Um, so you just kind of got to stay on top of it and and, and know their timeline and recovery. So before we get into it, we got to tell people that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by the good people at Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. That's westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. So let's start with first question. Is there such a thing as injury prone people, right? Because I think everybody can remember, you know, certain players who just seem to constantly get hammered by injuries. But there's also players who seem to have a completely clean bill of health all the way through college or all the way through a certain point in their NFL, and then just keep picking up 
injury, 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 injury. Is this, like, is it, are there people that, that are genetically prone to just getting more banged up time after time, or is it one thing that just starts to cascade event and that first injury is going to create the next three because of you know compensation mechanisms like leaning on something else to try and offset the injury or you know is does one thing start it or are people just a ticking time bomb sometimes yeah you know um this has been debated a lot uh in the medical field you know you'll have certain people say absolutely not um i actually personally i do believe people are injury prone and the reason i say that is because there's so many studies about recurrence right like once you sprain your ankle the recurrence rate goes up like 25 percent, right so you have certain injuries that yeah you may not genetically start as somebody who like if you and i walking down the street you're more likely to roll your ankle than me but when you get into like the physical demands of football you really put to test the anatomy of somebody how they're built tighter muscles compensation those type of things and i think they are injury prone i think people are more susceptible um it just really depends on on one the situation and and two on the person themselves and and how their body is uh you know one of the best examples i look at is like look at rashad penny he didn't have an injury all through college right he goes to the nfl and it's been non-stop catch a break. lower extremity injuries right there's some thing about his lower extremity whether it's a compensation mechanism whether it's just a susceptibility to the higher physical play and demands that's happened i would definitely consider that like more of an injury prone player um another one that kind of comes to mind is uh tj watt uh people probably don't know this but he's not really known as like super super injury prone but he's had four right groin injuries just his right groin four that's just odd Right. right. Since 2017, you see somebody with four of those. There's got to be something, right? There's got to be either like tight hip flexors or a compensation mechanism that's going on that's causing this recurrence. So I do believe people are susceptible and they are more injury prone. It might not just be the fact that it is like as simple as your genetic makeup versus mine. Well, it's like as soon as you introduce football to the equation, now you're basically. So if, you know, two completely healthy, uninjured guys that have never had an injury before there's probably no more likelihood that one is going to get injured than the other. But as soon as you start to introduce football, which is effectively a guaranteed injury somewhere, right? right? Like we hear all the time about you get to December, nobody's healthy. Right. All of these guys are playing through something. Right. It's just a case of how bad it is and whether it's going to keep you off the field or not. So when you introduce football and you say, now you guys are all professional football players, you're guaranteeing that they're getting injured somewhere. Now it changes your starting point. Like right. you're, you're not saying everybody's healthy it's all bets are off now we're saying okay with something wrong with you how well do you compensate how well do you get through that are you susceptible now to other things relative to the next guy and that's where the difference is absolutely in. i mean and it's it's just the variable right the variable of, of playing the sport an aggressive sport and the variable of do i need to come back sooner to help my team you know kind of something that we were talking about earlier is like am i that important for this playoff run to come back sooner well yeah, you might become more injury prone right. than just for the fact that you're coming back a week early. I mean, it's also, there's such a huge, this is one of those things where luck is massive, right? Yeah, like the, absolutely. what you get in terms of an injury is ma is huge. Like I always said, I, I feel like I got lucky for playing several years of football and never suffering a major knee injury. Mm -hmm. And I always said that like, if I got one, you know, torn ACL or whatever, I was, that was it. Yeah. Done. Like I'm playing at an amateur level. I'm not, I'm not getting money to go out and tear my ACL. So the right. second I like properly tore up a knee, I was going to be out. 
managed to get out before that, but I knew a guy who wrecked his knee doing that, and he spent years coming back from that. Like, Absolutely. It's, it, it's brutal. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask is, at this point in time, year 2023, have we kind of passed the stage where career-ending injuries are a thing? You know, obviously beyond paralysis right. or something like that. But there was a time where if you tore your ACL, you were done, right? Yeah. That was your football career over. Or then it became, you know, microfracture was a terrifying word to hear. If you yeah. heard that, right. guy's career was over. Um, you tore an Achilles, that guy was done. You know, all those kinds of things. Now it feels like, I mean... Um, players are coming back from an Achilles within a year and mm -hmm. playing and, and getting on the field. ACL feels almost routine. It's like, oh, it's just an ACL. You right. know, now it's only if you hear three or four ligaments torn at the same time that we've got concerns. Like, yes. have we actually reached the point of medical development where there really isn't a career-ending injury anymore? It's just a case of how long it's going to take for you to come back. Yeah, you know, I have to agree with that. I think it's just the medical advancement. I mean, not only surgically, but on the rehabilitative side of things, it's just advanced a ton. Uh, you know, there are certain injuries that are harder to predict on a return. I mean, I don't think ACL is to the point of like routine ACL, but it's advanced. Um, Achilles is so widespread. Sometimes there's nerve damage, sometimes there's not. Uh, so a lot of times what you end up seeing is it's case by case, but I don't sit there and look at any specific injury being like, this is a, you know, it's a career ender, don't get it. I, I do think also though, with the advancement in concussions, we are going to see more players bow out yeah. um, and, and say, you know, I'm calling it. And that's also just done with research and medical advancement, like like I was saying with the other injuries. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, concussions, I sort of feel, are almost their own little world. Um, they We're definitely going to see players' careers ended by concussions, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's whether it's somebody like Tua, but, you know, that kind of thing where a guy gets sidelined for an extended period of time, gets shut down, you know, maybe... I mean, it's happened in other sports already. It's going to happen in football, right. whether or not it's happened in football to this point already. And like Chris Borland, right? Didn't he walk away mm -hmm. essentially through fear of that kind of thing? Just being like, it's not, it's not worth it. I'm right. not taking the risk. Now, that's slightly different to a guy who has suffered to the degree where they're thinking that way. But Borland got out ahead of it. Whether or not you want to count him as the first, there's definitely going to be more of those guys. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I remember when Keekley walked away. Right. So, and, yeah. And, and he, he sit there. He and dealt with a lot. I mean, he was, he was, he wore that collar thing yeah. that was supposed to work towards concussions. So, yeah. He's, I guess, probably in that category. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that, that, that's definitely an area. Um, I think, though, with as far as other approaches to injuries, you know, like I talked about the Achilles, the, the ACL. It, it is hit or miss. Um, there are higher risks, though, for season enders, for sure. And, you know, you talked about it. I mean, knees, they rely on knees. These players rely on their knees so much. If that becomes damaged enough, it can be career enders. It's just to what extreme. Do you have a take on <clears throat> the surface, playing surface debate that was going on sort of just at the start of this offseason? The players seem to want, you know, all grass surfaces, every, every stadium. Um, there was... There was a body of research a while ago that basically said there was no difference between yeah. um, between artificial turf and grass. The only difference was what you injured. Yeah. The, the rate didn't mm -hmm. change, but what you were injuring on each given surface changed a little bit. But then apparently there was more research that said, okay, 
on a specific type of of turf. This split, uh, what was it, split something? Some specific type of artificial turf was ca- causing more of these knee injuries where mm-hmm. you would, you know, the classic, like your cleat gets caught in the ground, the knee twists, right. your foot doesn't, and uh, something tears, that that actually was creating more injuries. Do you have any particular insight on that? Yeah. Uh, Slit film. There you go. Tyler's hitting it in the chat box. Yeah. So, Sam, it's kind of funny. Um, I am not a conspiracy theorist, okay, at all. But um, the one study that really referred to no difference in this was done one year. Okay. One year by the NFL. They conducted a study, and it was an outlier season where they looked at injuries that were done on turf versus done on grass playing fields. So the NFL player union they were livid because they're like you're taking data from the one year that was an outlier year and you're coming out and broadcasting it as like there's no difference right well there definitely is a difference um look at it as just the fact that like underneath grass is soil it has Mm. slide it has give right it's not only softer but it shifts with you okay there's a there's a certain amount where the grass is rooted where it can kind of move with a planted cleat turf doesn't give you that as much not nearly as much and the surface underneath turf is firmer now of course there's that's advanced a lot right i mean there is um, more bounce to it there is uh they're trying to make textures way way more like grass but there's a big difference so the players really like it because i think they truly believe that they feel like they can cut better and they're not getting stuck and planted and they also i mean they are less likely to get injured when it is something that's not just planting their cleat in and and hopefully your ankle doesn't roll right. i also feel like that debate like, so we you know it, when it becomes injuries it's like oh, obviously everyone wants to play on grass and when they get to, when you get to december and a grass turf field looks like a grass turf field it's like this is disgraceful how can we even let them play football on this like what are we doing here right. like this is not it feels like we're gonna it's lose lose whatever you right. do we're gonna be whinging about the surface that's just the nature of the yeah. world but definitely when like when the weather's nice grass feels better to play on uh, like, obviously it's just better to run around on i think right. anybody that's played on the two right. knows that and that's even before you get to like I'm sure NFL turfs or, or NFL fields are about as good as they get, but you know, you go, I, I, they still haven't fixed the idea of like getting torn up by the surface. Uh-huh. Like you hit the ground on those things, or you're getting ripped to pieces. That's why you see players still wearing that, you know, duct tape all yeah. over them. Because yeah. if you hit the ground with bare skin on turf, it's still going to tear your skin to pieces in a way grass doesn't right well i kind of dry i kind of want the raiders to go back and at least put like a makeshift baseball field in their stadium (laughs) just just to have that aspect and wasn't it the ravens the other year that they they were complaining so much that their practice field was so bad like that they just didn't want to play on it because of the risk of injury so yeah i mean there is wear and tear that go into grass but just like you, we talked about with like how turf has advanced so much, lawn care and just the care of that. I mean, they're literally they can roll out sheets of new right. grass. I mean, an entire field worth. So or even I mean, there's a lot of those stadiums now, multiple stadiums where you can roll the entire surface out. Like yeah, the like Cardinal Cardinals. Stadium, yeah, exactly. You just wheel it out, put it in the sun. Yep. Put something else in there, and then wheel it back in for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so back to the kind of general injuries. Yeah. Um, how many injuries that we see would you consider? So sort of let's say season ending injuries or you know, significant portion of the season ending injuries that you would have basically no concern about the following season. Uh, the following season? Yeah. yeah. So 
Because um, that's, that's what we're looking at now, right? Is, mm -hmm. is everybody from, whether it's a fantasy perspective or just looking at their team, you know, these are my guys that were injured last season. They're coming back this year. Do I expect them to be 100%? Am I getting the same guy back? Am I getting a guy who it's going to linger this year? Or am I getting a guy who's still going to be some, you know, extended period of time away? Or it comes with it a significant worry about what he's going to be this year? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So I would most likely separate it into two things. You got soft tissue injuries and you have like joint ligament tendon injuries. Soft tissue injuries, um, yeah, there is a high recurrence within season. But if somebody strained their hamstring and then they can take five months, you right. know, from their last injury to rehabbing over the summer, <clears throat> they should be good. So that's a, you know, a, a great example of that one is Jackson Smith and Jigba, yeah, right? right? Who had had a hamstring injury that basically lingered for the entire football season. Right. And that was a big red flag to a lot of people mm -hmm. at draft time because you're like, guys that get hamstring injuries, you know, they come back, they recur, they linger. Look at that. He was out the whole year. But you're, but theoretic <clears throat> theoretically, once he got shut down and was able to draft prep, you know, take the whole time off, he should be 100% now. It's yeah. not a thing we should be thinking. I about. mean, I definitely think that, that it, that's if – they actually found some of the true cause. I mean, is his hamstring injury recurring because of some other mechanism that's going on in his body, right? Like, is he not strong enough or stable enough like around his knee or his quadriceps, or is he driving so much from his hamstring that his glutes not getting involved? Those simple things like that, they, I mean, they know, they figure out, especially with that much time going from the collegiate to professional level, especially like he's had another set of eyes on it. I mean, there are players that you see that get those soft tissue injuries. It seems like every single year, yeah. you know, I look particularly back, hamstrings. Like hamstrings. there are, there do seem to be people that are very susceptible to hamstring injuries, but it always felt to me that there's a big difference between a guy who will consistently pull a hamstring and somebody whose hamstring went once and they never got it back to hundred percent. Right. Cause I did that. <clears throat> like I pulled a hamstring pretty badly one time. And because I was like, a part-time rugby coach where you have to referee kids games and yeah, stuff yeah it i couldn't get it 100 percent because i would have to like run and i kept going again like mm -hmm. and i just it's been i don't know how long i had that hamstring injury well, a long time for like a ridiculously relatively routine pull that should have been right. healed pretty quickly and i just kept aggravating it week on week on week and i always my mind is always blown in the nfl season where their guy's been out with a hamstring injury for three weeks or whatever and they're like he's back in this game they say he's 85%. I'm like, how? I don't understand. How can right. you be 85% with a hamstring? Because that means you can't sprint right. at all. <laughs> and if you're a wide receiver, like that feels pretty important. Like right. you literally cannot sprint in this game. How are you on the field? Right. I tend to laugh at it when, when they get percentages of like 80. Why well, wasn't it 86%? Right. You know, the, um, the one thing I think is fascinating. So with hamstrings specifically, there is a 28% chance of recurrence within two years. Okay, so you tear your hamstring. Even when it's back, hamstring. like 100% theoretically. Yep. So within two years. So right. let's say you did it week one last year. Okay, you still have a 28% chance year. that this year that it's going to happen. Um, but, I mean, that's not relatively high. I mean, considering the sport itself of injuries that could happen are, are all relatively is high. Is that significantly higher than any other random injury yes i mean it is high yeah, i mean it'd be higher than like let's say an ac joint separation right. or something so you have that um but the fascinating thing about that is 71 percent of the time that injury in your hamstring reoccurred in the same season and if it did happen in the same season 23 percent, almost a quarter of the time was that first week back 
So people, that makes sense. People are coming back. Like you said, at that 85% level and they're way higher that first week to get another injury like that. And it just shows, I mean, productivity that first week back from a hamstring strain is way less. I mean, it drops off. So my whole thought process is like, why wouldn't you just hold them out another week? Not only yeah. are you putting them at that 23% risk level, but then you're but hamstring there. hamstring always felt to me a very unusual injury because you only know if it's fixed when you give it that 100%. Exactly. Every other injury, every other muscle, at least soft tissue injury, you could kind of feel it out beforehand and you, you, you could, un, you could figure out whether it was good or not mm-hmm. before you gave it 100%. Whereas with a hamstring, you're only going to know if it's back and held together when you finally give it that 100% sprint and it stays intact. Right. And right. you can think it's back and then you give it that 100% sprint and it goes again. You're like, oh, okay, it wasn't. Right. Like, you you run still, a nine route and you're like, oh, yeah. never mind. Yeah, yeah it sad. turns out it's not fixed. Like, <laughs> and, and it's another six weeks. Right. This is fantastic. Right. Yeah. yeah. So hamstrings always felt to me a very, like, an unusual, a unique injury in that way in right. that it's really hard to figure out if you're actually 100% back. Now, I will say, I'm sure it's different coming from your world where people can like scan it and look at it and dive into it and actually get an idea versus my world of, that yeah, feels all right. Yeah. You know, let's strap it up and see. Yeah, do a couple of jumps. Twang. And then, yeah. No, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is a difference, and especially like um, with imaging or the location of a hamstring strain, like, you know, the muscular tendinous junction, kind of where it inserts that like underneath your glutes and butt. If you get an injury there and a strain there, it's a longer recovery than if it's actually in the muscle belly. So it just kind of depends um, with that. But uh, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about. Like, I mean, soft tissue injuries in general, if they're rehabbed the right, right way, and you also figure out the mechanisms around that that might have been causing an issue, um, you shouldn't see a huge recurrence if they have the proper time off, unlike something that needs like major surgical repair. Um, so. Let's get into some specific players. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the players I think that was getting consistently brought up a lot was, actually, no, let's do it this way. So a lot of running backs um, were in this request list, yeah. various yeah. different injuries, and I think a, a, a complete scale. And this gives me a chance to circle back to something we were talking about on Monday. Obviously, running backs and contracts and value blew up on Monday. Um, Big discussion, even after we had the podcast. One of the things on the podcast we were talking about was holdouts, you know, for these guys on the franchise tag. Um, And I was talking about how the fines are so onerous, you can't really do that anymore. A lot of people pointed out that until they sign the tag, they can't be fined. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's a very legitimate point for these guys, that they can hold out and not be fined those onerous amounts because they haven't yet signed that tag. Of course, the flip side of that is they can't earn any money while doing that. Right. Um, so just wanted to point out that everyone that called me out on that, you're right. I was wrong. <laughs> um, all right. So Tony Pollard, yeah. uh, one of those guys on the franchise tag, broke his leg last year. And that it, so that, to me, falls into the category, and tell me if I'm wrong, of one of the least concerning injuries you can have. Just a clean bone break. It mm-hmm. heals. You're 100%. You're good to go. We don't need to think about that going forward. That's at the sort of low end of the concern spectrum heading into this year. Yeah, I mean, for for the most part, right? Like, I mean, he wasn't dealing with like a Alex Smith compound or anything. Right. But yeah, yeah. um, and the the blessing in a, in a bad situation of that is he was just like broke a non-weight bearing bone in his leg the fibula actually doesn't bear a lot of weight compared to the tibia right okay. so his weight bearing status actually gets expedited because he just 
he's not having to put too much pressure on it. He also had a little bit of a high ankle sprain with that. Um, but they did surgery and what they do is like a tightrope surgery. Uh, same thing that happened with Cooper cup. It's this really cool surgery where they, um, basically do a syndesmosis plate. And what that does is it, it just basically anchors in their, their, their ankle to make it way more secure. Um, so they just go right in through the outside where he broke his fib and they just anchor it and make it almost stronger. So I have, I mean, I don't see any issues with Tony Pollard coming back. He actually was running, uh, correct me if I'm wrong with, with the ones during OTAs, like out there on the field running plays. Right. So, um, I mean, his, his healing has been great anyway. And I also think he's partially kind of a freak athlete. And, you sure. know, like I think Tony Pollard is, is kind of special in that regard. So, and is the only, so, you know, generally we're saying bone breaks should be on the low end of the concern spectrum going forward. The differences of that are when there are significant complications, right? Yes. Alex Smith's leg injury, where obviously that turned into a whole different deal with right. flesh eating bacteria and all that right. kind of thing. Right. Um, what would be the extra complications where you would start to be concerned? So Lewisine's injury, right, right. against the Saints, where yeah. he bad leg break, compound leg break, which I think means the bone comes out through the skin, essentially, yep. right? And he, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it w his was actually a little bit lower towards his ankle articulation, and he broke both the fib and the tib. Right. So on top of that, not to mention like you're dealing with ankle sprains, right? If you if you break both of those and your ankle goes crooked you're only hanging on by those ligaments, right? So he's dealing with that on top of it. So that's where, so for a guy like Scene, clearly it's more concerning than Tony Pollard. Mm -hmm. What is the, which is the sort of elements of that extra complicated injury that is the added concern? So the, the compound part of it, is that only, it's basically just the risk of infection. Well, that and um, it, for him, it limited his weight bearing status a lot more. Okay. So, you know, because he broke both of those in his lower extremity, he, he not only had to have surgery, but he's dealing with putting pressure back on a bone that was fractured, okay, that he's having to now run with and have agility with and do all that. So when Lewis seen had that break and you see, you know, it's kind of gruesome, but that those ankle flops and stuff like that, you know that that's going to be a long process just for the fact that when it's restructured, he's got to be able to put pressure on it and through it. Now that's the complication. I mean, I'm not really worried about infection as much. I mean, Alex Smith was a, a very rare statistic in that regard. Like, yeah, they, they need to make sure they, they cover it up right away. But I mean, I wouldn't be worried as in that regard. As but, that, but that is the only sort of real concern, if you like, about the compound part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like we hear the difference between compound break and just regular internal leg break. The only real concern about the compound part is that exposes it to potential infection but once you're past that we don't need that's no longer a like an additional concern relative to just a, a normal bone break yeah and and sometimes with compounds you don't just get a clean break there can be fragments okay. and when you get fragmentation that can get a little messy because now are they pinning bones back in are they going to do that stuff i mean added screws added complications that type of thing so for pollard would we be more concerned if he had broken the other bone in mm -hmm. his leg the the load bearing one because that that changes things right that changes so, his rehab okay. uh, limitations yeah so we're more lewisine more concerned both both broke broke both bones mm -hmm. um clearly stressed ligaments because of having broken both bones the compound part is kind of irrelevant unless it indicates like a like kind of fragmentation of those bones right. 
how do you think, what do you think his recovery should look like this year? Well, I was actually watching a little bit of video on Lewis scene and, and he looks good. I mean, he actually looks really good. Um, he looks pretty explosive. He actually quoted, like, I look more explosive than ever. The big thing is when he's playing in space. Um, and I don't have a problem, like, I think him going downhill straight line. I don't think that. I think it's when he's playing in space to seeing how he can maneuver on that leg, changing, cutting. Um, it's actually funny because you know, he didn't have the best, but he had a 52 PFF coverage grade that that year before he got hurt. If that goes down, I mean, he might be a little bit more of a liability if he's not planting and cutting on that leg that well. So the biggest thing that we need to watch is like his agility and space off of that, how he can plant, how he can jump, be explosive, that kind of thing. I never broke any sort of significant bone. Mm -hmm. Is there, from a player's point of view, you hear a lot about like, you know, they, they get they get back and then they take another year to sort of be confident on the injury, right? Mm -hmm. And I can absolutely relate to that when it comes to, um, you know, sprained ligaments and muscle injuries, particularly the hamstring. Mm -hmm. But I, is that the same with broken bones or does that mentally, is it much easier to feel comfortable on those once it's back and working? I think once it's back and working, it is, but there's a period where your bone fusion and um, the calcification has occurred where it's it's fine you can do anything on it but it still can be sore right and that's kind of that mental aspect it's like i know i'm good but i still have some soreness right and it and and it gives you that hesitation and that's what's also kind of scary is then how are you compensating right like if i'm not able to pound that leg into the ground and drive off of it what am i doing to change it to try to get to you know from point a to point b as fast yeah so there is some of that so obj is another mm -hmm. one that came up a lot oh, yeah. um obviously a guy that's had multiple knee injuries now, uh, but theoretically is supposed to be back, is supposed to be Baltimore's number one wide receiver. They're paying him a pretty healthy amount of money um, yeah. with this kind of risk, I guess, associated with bringing him in. What should we be expecting from OBJ this year? So um, because of the ACL, he had an ACL revision. Um, I, I look at it as it's kind of standard to know, like your first year back from ACL, is probably a dip in productivity. Your second year back, you're more likely just to be good to go. So this would be his second year back, right? But he also had a revision. And so the best way I would kind of describe this is like, they don't need to dig a new tunnel for OBJ for his surgery. The tunnel's already there. So they're just kind of cleaning up what's ever inside to do this revision. And his knee is now used to those mechanics already. I don't see a problem with OBJ actually coming back this year and being very productive as long as he's done everything he needs to. It was kind of funny after his first ACL, um, there was a big video, I don't know if you remember, of him running on a treadmill, like full sprint, right? Mm. The interesting thing is you never saw him accelerate and decelerate. And one of the first, or the hardest things to come back after an ACL is that acceleration to get to back where you were pre-ACL is that you know first five, 10 yard sprint of acceleration. So I kind of laugh when I see these players that you know get an ACL and you see them sprinting on a treadmill or you catch them running by the camera at the 50 yard line, but you didn't see their takeoff and you didn't see their deceleration. Right. But I do think that he is, he's good. I think he's, I think he's far enough out. He's, he's taken that year. He's um, had a good surgery from everything that I've read. It was, yeah, it's a very straightforward revision. So and he's another guy where now you're seeing the full videos. Like now you're yeah. seeing him run right. routes. You're seeing everything. You're seeing the cutting. You're seeing the get off. You're seeing the the slowdown, the breaks, the um, the the turns. 
the whole thing is out right. there now and it looks looks pretty slick so right. far oh he looks good and all the unnecessary one-handed catches too that you see <laughs> i there's i can't think of anybody that makes looking makes catching the ball look as easy as he does it's like even chris carter had maybe the best hands the game's ever seen, right? right? That's like his thing. A Hall of Fame receiver whose calling card is like having the best hands, making those spectacular one-handed catches. And there's a video out there somewhere of Carter like explaining to a reporter how he catches one-handed, like literally walking him through. There's a jugs machine over here, ball's getting fired at him here, and he's walking him through the mechanics of like how to catch one-handed. But even that looks harder than OBJ does it, <laughs> yeah, right? Who right. just... just just snatches it with like no thought, not even cleanly, just like plucks it with fingertips in a way that I think can only function if you have those SeaTac gloves or whatever. But like even the difference between maybe the best hands to ever do it and OBJ is big. The oh, yeah. difference between those two guys is significant. Like OBJ makes it look easier than Carter did when he was walking you through how to do it whilst talking to a guy. It's crazy. I know. His, I mean, yeah, his, his ability to make that look so simple is, is kind of sickening. My wife threw me a passy the other day. She tosses <laughs> me pacifier, and I miss it by, like, a foot with my hand. And I was just like, I'm such a disgraceful athlete. Yeah. And you look at, like, OBJ, he'd, like, close his eyes and catch a fade in the back corner like it was nothing, you know? Oh, we just, uh, we just posted our rugby video, so I don't need any more reminders of what a disgusting level <laughs> athlete I am right now. Um, but it's, it's amazing to me, like, how not cleanly he's able to do that. Like, yeah. you know, the we like Larry Fitzgerald, again, some of the best hands ever. When you look at his hand size, they're huge. Mm -hmm. right? It's like he should never drop the ball because right. like the margin for error that the, his hand size gives you is insane. Right. But when you watch him catch, it's almost always cleanly, like perfect technique. It's in the hand. It's in the palm. It's like full surface area working here. Right. OBJ is the only guy that consistently can catch like with his fingers. Right. Like doesn't he, the ball doesn't touch his palm. Yeah. It's like snagged out of the air with just three or four points of contact with that sticky glove and just sticks and doesn't come out like how the hell does he do that yeah we're gonna find out something like down the road that like his finger workouts have just yeah. like to the extreme and like his hands are big but yeah. they're not you know like larry fitzgerald's i'm pretty sure are significantly bigger right. than obj's and right. there are other people out there with much bigger hands than that that cannot do that right i don't right. know how he's able to make that happen yeah it's funny all right, let's jump back. Another ACL. Um, mm -hmm. Back to the running backs. Brees Hall is another yep. one that a lot of people wanted to hear about. Potential rookie of the year type of season. Mm -hmm. Dan Terrence is ACL. What should we be thinking about year one? Yeah, I mean, in general, when as, as clean as it can get, he had a pretty clean ACL tear. Um, pretty straightforward. Good surgery. I see him potentially being back week one. Um, he fits the mold of a lot of criteria for ACLs that will put him at a better recovery. So um, studies have gone out and they basically said like a good recovery predictor for ACL, you need to fall in these categories. You need to be under 25. You need to have a non-complex injury. So like, you know, not a JK Dobbins, something like that. Right. Um, you need to have those nine months of recovery. Uh, you need to be about a third round grade pedigree or higher. And I think that might just kind of dive into more of like the athletic profile yeah. of things. And then um, from there, your success rate goes up exponentially. So I don't see him having an issue coming back. It was a pretty straightforward surgery, pretty straightforward injury. And then, you know, he's he's had time to recover and do the rehab. He might miss a couple of weeks. I don't even know if I see him going on the pup. I think that he'll probably just 
you know, ease back into that first week or second week and then go from there. So and then do we expect the same kind of guy year one or should we expect this dip in in uh, production? in 2023 and then we get the real Brees Hall back in 2024. So like my viewpoint on injuries um, is if somebody has a significant injury, it's really hard to expect them to come back better, right? You know, um, it it, it might be what they produced last year, which was for him a, a great running back, but it's really hard for me to sit there and say, well, this person's gonna come back and outperform what they did before they had the significant injury, before they had an off season where all they could focus on was just rehab and recovery. So <clears throat> it's normally either a dip, especially that first year back, and then they can kind of get back to where they were the second year, or they hit that baseline of just what they were producing before the injury. You know, I mean, look at Adrian Peterson, for example. Everybody was like, wow, he made a tremendous recovery, came back, um, you know, MVP the following year after his ACL. But Adrian Peterson came back to Adrian Peterson. Like, he was already a good running back before that. He was already the best in the league. So I'd expect a Brees Hall, when he gets to that point, he'll be about what you had. Now, whether that's this year or kind of overflows to next year, that's a big question. Um, This season, DraftKings has launched the largest best ball tournament in DraftKings history. Right now, you can enter into DraftKings best ball tournament for a shot at over $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes. Make your entry into the draft today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the NFL season without having to worry about managing your roster, waiver wires, and more. To start playing best ball, download the DraftKings app using code PFF. Enter DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, drops, trades, or I shouldn't have played them instead. Teams with one with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with the code PFF and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament only on DraftKings with code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued is $10 DraftKings dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. Ends August the 9th, 2023. Um, how much does a guy like Adrian Peterson just ruin expectations for everybody by just being, just just being pure, a pure freak show from start to finish? Yeah, that bell curve shifts a little bit. You could say that with right. those kind of outliers. Um, I, I guess one that uh, oh, Von Miller's another ACL guy. Yeah, I think a lot of people wanted to hear about. And Von Miller is somebody that obviously doesn't take some of those boxes because he's not twenty-five. Right. He's the wrong side of thirty. And how much does that influence things? So I mean, Von Miller again was just a, a more of a standard ACL, um, which is always nice predictor that it's not complex. But he is on the older side. I expect Von Miller to be half halfway through the season coming back um he he's gonna maybe i mean come back earlier but he also is a veteran he knows his body he knows his limitations and um i don't see this i don't see the surgery itself and the injury itself being any different than like just you know a routine acl recovery other than the fact that he is a little bit older um i don't know exact age but uh it it in, in his case, he's going to be um, probably mid-season coming back to full form. And, and he even said that. He actually made a comment that he hopes to come back, you know, early to mid-season. So. Yeah, he's 34. 34 um, so yeah. in his case, it's really just at that kind of age, your body heals slower. It's not that it's going to – it's not that it's any 
worse, any riskier, it's just 34, you heal slower than you do a 24, mm-hmm. it's going to take them longer. Yeah. That's basically and what we're talking about. That, that and, um, I, I mean, you also are at more risk with like an ACL um, to have other injuries. And we kind of talked about that. Um, we call it regional interdependence where like, you know, you have an injury like that, then what shifts in your ankle, what shifts in your hip, like what, what changes are you making? <clears throat> but the other thing is like, you know, with him, they're probably going to be more careful because they want that later yeah. of the half of the season. And when you come back from an ACL, you have like a 70% higher risk of, of hurting your hamstring. So they also want, Hey, I want you to come back. And if we have to delay you another week or two, let's do it to know that you're hundred percent. I mean, you probably remember Chris Godwin last year comes off the ACL. Everybody's like, well, he's back pretty early and boom, hamstring strain week one. You know, that's because I think, I mean, there's that correlation. He had a higher risk of doing that, and he just came back a little early. Yeah, there's very little incentive for the Bills to, you know, rush him back. They they need Von Miller for the playoffs. Correct. And frankly, if they don't even see him before the playoffs, okay, right. it's fine. Like, we, we need him for the postseason. If he gets a tune-up game late in the year, that's fine. Like, that's all we need. What we can't have happen was what happened last season where he goes down, you don't have him for the playoffs, and now – you know, you materially change that defense against the best teams in the NFL. Right, they need the opposite of that. They, yep. If they don't see him for the regular season, it's not a problem, but they need him for that postseason yep. run where you run into the likes of Cincinnati, Kansas mm-hmm. City, et cetera, et cetera. So, right, absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's no incentive for them to, to rush him back whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so another guy that came up a lot was Tyree Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, big edge rusher, yep. uh, rookie. Raiders drafted him and his pre-draft process was interesting because we were hearing everything from he could go number three overall to all of a sudden late in particular it started to go his his injury his foot injury is worse than people said it was and he's going to tumble and right you know that how what do we know about him what do we think about him well so when you have a foot injury it's really interesting because they can kind of go hush hush um and you know, with somebody like Tyree Wilson, when you have a season-ending foot injury, and he had surgery, I think it was in November, um, if I'm if I'm correct. When you have something like that, you not only need to get back from the surgery healing perspective, but you need to get back to the mechanics of planting off of it, doing all that kind of stuff. And when it comes to something like um, a Liz Frank injury, so Liz Frank is the fracture like on the inside part of your foot. That's a hard recovery, and especially with surgery. And so Tyree Wilson is somebody who I think benefited a lot from going to the care of the NFL. Um, I think that they looked at his athletic profile more than anything and said this guy's going to be able to produce. Right. Um, but I don't see them rushing him in because this is also somebody where you very well know. I mean, he was pretty raw. Like he had a really good season, right, um, and had a highlight season this last year. Um, but he's raw. And I don't see them trying to force him back in and pushing him through an injury that has such a high recurrence rate. So I could see I could see them slow playing him. I mean, even getting him in the rotation and just saying, okay, we're going to monitor you. But if there's any complications, anything come up, we're just not doing it. Are there uh, injuries that are very NFL specific? Like mm-hmm. there are certain injuries that you hear basically only when it comes to the NFL. Other sports don't seem to have these injuries. Liz Frank tends to be one. Like, I, I can only think of really NFL players, quite a lot of them, that have had a Liz Frank injury, and they, that rarely seems to surface in a lot of other sports. Now, maybe, 
I mean, look, I have no idea what happens in baseball. For all I know, every second pitcher gets a Liz Frank injury. Um, and then what was the other one? Um, like a lot of foot injuries, it seems. Turf toe. Yeah, turf toe yeah. And, and plantar fasciitis, yeah. again, is another thing. I've never heard of a rugby player getting that, yeah. ever. And in theory, you know, there's a lot of crossover between rugby and the NFL. Like, why, why are some of these injuries seem to be very hyper-specific to football? Well, I think a lot of it has to do, like, with also the mechanism of how that injury occurs. So a good example is, uh, like, the most common this Frank injury for linemen is when they're up on their toes, right, and their heel is up, and then somebody rolls on top of their heel, and it kind of almost pushes down okay. and causes that fracture. I mean, that's a very specific – I mean, you see right. linemen up on their toes every single play, right? It, a pileup, that could happen just like that. So that's kind of how you see some of these occur. It's just because of the nature of either their position or um, how it's played. Running backs, you know, with Liz Frank injuries – you see them all the time. Not only are they pounding on the inside of their foot when they're breaking and pushing off, especially with that big toe, but they get rolled up on and they get hit from behind, right? And that's so easy for that to happen. Whereas like, you know, you're not seeing these in soccer or baseball or anything like that or rugby, you know, you, you have a little bit different positions and you have a little bit different, you know, roles for each guy that's doing that, so. A um, couple of other players that I wanted to talk about specifically before we can kind of open this up again. Uh, back to the running backs, and we've been working through this kind of spectrum of concern. Tony Pollard, not really concerned at all. Brees Hall, relatively routine, mm -hmm. should be back. Then we have Javante Williams, mm -hmm. and he's at the other end of the spectrum where he seemed to tear basically everything. Didn't just tear an ACL. When, when First of all, when you talk about, you know, um, I forget the word you were using, a, a sort of simple ACL injury, a when you talk about additional things, are we talking about the severity of the ACL tear itself, or did you tear an ACL and a PCL, or an ACL and an MCL, like the extra damage that's done? Yeah, normally, normally you'll refer to like a complex with multiple ligamentous injuries. So, right. um, you know, Javante had PCL, LCL, ACL, and that's that's pretty complex. Um, let me look at what happened with J.K. Dobbins. Uh, with his injury specifically, it's a fine line between working back on the rehab and preserving motion versus doing too much. Um, so, you know, especially with a PCL, there's a lot of attachment points that come to the back of your knee where his range of motion needs to stay pretty high, but at the same time, he's susceptible to overdoing it and straining that area. Um, I kind of look at with, with even JK, you know, you watched him run a little bit and something wasn't right. And then yeah. he comes out and says, hey, I just don't have the range of motion. He gets him a nip under anesthesia, <coughs> knee gets better. It looked like he was running with a limp. It, it was, was I mean, literally, yeah, exactly. And so with this type of complex injury, not only is a rehab process a little bit more difficult, it's very specific um, because you just, you, you have that fine line, um, but it's a longer, it's a longer rehab. Um, you know, I think that, that Javante is somebody who, <clears throat> um, Though he's saying he's appearing at OTAs, doesn't mean that he's out there doing a bunch. Uh, I I just don't see I don't see him having a really great recovery this season. Um, 
And if he comes back, they're not just going to force him to a full workload. You know, it's it's one where he's going to probably get there midseason, and we're going to get a really good grasp of how his recovery has been. Uh, he is at risk for you know more complications too. So, um, I mean, I hope and I cross fingers that he doesn't have a second surgery to go back in and and fix anything up um, because he is young and he does fit a lot of those other qualifications for a healthy recovery. But it's just so much more complex that he needs to really get back not only with the um, healing of the surgery, but then all of the atrophy around those muscles and around his knee need to be full go, ready for him to take on the load of an NFL running back. Do you expect Denver, a team that <clears throat> kind of quietly, I mean, not quietly, they, they haven't done anything with mm-hmm. this. Like they've signed some IGP Ryan, but he's very much a change of pace type of back, a third down kind of guy. Are Denver a team that you would expect to be like, Actually, the closer we get to the season, the we can't rely on Javante Williams carrying the load. Certainly not right out of the gate. Let's go and find a Dalvin Cook mm-hmm. or a you know Kareem Hunt has been out there for the entire offseason effectively. Like a guy like that who you think can absolutely play at this level and be your number one running back, and then even if it's only for one year, then we can deal with uh, with Javante next time. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that would probably be. If I were to have like a bold prediction, that w- that would be it. I I think there's a lot of talk and chatter about um, Javante right now and about how he- healthy he's got- gotten and his recovery process has been really good and that's great. But I'm not going to be surprised. I think that he's going to be put on the pup. I think that he's probably at least out for for four weeks. And I don't think Denver like I mean like you said I like P Ryan and I just don't know if he's going to be that type of player I think they want him in that third down role so I wouldn't be surprised if they went out there and got a Dalvin Cook um or I mean it it just really it, there's a lot of availability even a Zeke I don't know right. but there's a lot of availability out there that can come plug and play and then they don't have to work Javante in so fast like if they really believe in his talent for him to come back and be a workhorse next year we'll get your workhorse this year in free agency put him on the pup maybe delay his comeback and then um, you know see how he feels so. are those complex knee injuries the closest that today's NFL has to those career-ending injuries you know I, I tend to think of Marcus Lattimore mm-hmm. when like a, an amazing college running back I think he did it in a bowl game didn't he like played the final game and tore his knee to pieces and got back but was never the same guy again like made it to the NFL I think did he play like played in a, a little bit of whether it was preseason or a regular season game but basically just got back but was not Marcus Lattimore anymore and eventually he was done now yeah. it's far enough a lo- ago that Maybe things have developed even even further. Um, and sort of connected to that, is there a combination of ligament tears or damage in the knee that should be, you know, setting off alarm bells? Like when we hear PCL, MCL, LCL, ACL, like all these ligaments, it's to anyone that doesn't know what the hell they're talking about, it, they're kind of interchangeable, right? In terms of one is fine, more than one is a problem, but is there a specific combination of them that's a real problem relative to other combinations? Well, yeah, a lot of times what you'll see is like the ACL, PCL, LCL, and that's because the LCL is on the outside of your knee. And so if there's whether a plant cut or a direct blow, you know, you hit and you lose that pressure that, that for, keeps your knee upright from the outside, and that's, that's very damaging. I mean, that's, yeah, and, and I mean, I would say that's about as close as you can get to like a career ender if, it's somebody who's obviously late in age or that, you know, might not be a full-time starter, but they 
have a long, long road ahead of them of recovery. I mean, I would say that's the case. The one caveat to that, though, is quarterbacks. Quarterbacks actually really don't take a big dip after like an ACL tear or a multi-ligament tear the following year. Um, I mean, there there might be a little bit of regression, especially like in those more mobile quarterbacks and their running ability. There is a little bit of a dip in that percentage of run attempts. But um, honestly, like with with the complex knee like that if you get that pcl lcl and acl it's a lot worse than just you know a clean like kind of like you said yeah one's bad two's worse three year kind of wins it right. out so. how much of a sample size are we dealing with when we're talking about those injuries for quarterbacks now i just think with all the the rule changes over the years and the tom brady rule in you know 2008 after his knee injury how many quarterbacks are going down with that type of injury now uh, I mean, it's it's more rare for sure. I mean, the latest that comes to my mind, you know, like Joe Burrow got right. his left knee just completely demolished, and he was back the next year. Now, you did see a huge dip not only in his passing attempts but his rushing attempts the first part of that comeback of that year. I think that probably might have been a more conservative approach from the coaching end rather than him making the decision, I'm not going to, you know, run as much. But – um, it's much less. I mean, with the protection of quarterbacks right now, like you better hit them, you know, below the neck and above the waist. Right. And so that there has been a, a decrease in that injury for sure. Um, but that's been tracked. I mean, it really heightened after Brady's injury. Um, it really heightened as far as the tracking of that specifically, but um, it's much less. How much does um, body size dictate some of this? Like, if you're a guy like J.K. Dobbins, is it easier to come back from a significant knee injury than it is for a guy like Javante Williams, who's carrying a lot more weight and planting a lot more weight through those knees? And I, when we were talking about quarterbacks, you know, like obviously Teddy Bridgewater was able to come back from a horrific knee injury mm-hmm. um, and has been effectively the same guy, can still run around, can still move, where somebody like Dante Culpepper had somebody launch himself through his knee and at 250 pounds or whatever Culpepper was, was never the same guy again. Right. Like, yeah, that I mean, has to be, you would think, just from the, the forces of physics you're putting through those uh, joints has to play a part of it. It does. It does play a part, but it, I think more uh, importantly is the style of player they are. You know, like, you know, are you a downhill back or, or are you relying a lot of cutting? Um, you know, one, one person that I think of that came to mind is like when Cam Akers came back super early from his Achilles. Yeah. But if you watched him play, I mean, he was really straight line. He was not – I mean, he lost a lot of agility with that. And when you watch him come back week one, I was just like, man, he, yeah, he can hit that hole and he can run straight, but good luck trying to shake that safety coming up. Um, so I think a lot of it also depends on, like, the type of player or what their demand is. Uh, I, I don't see, like, a big difference in, in Javante and J.K. as far as, like, when they come back, if you can predict because of their body type that they're going to have a change. Um, I think more of their playing style or what their demands are. You know, like, you have a really mobile quarterback um, who's used to being on their feet and running and stuff like that. It's going to be a different recovery process anyway compared to, like, you know, a sit, drop back quarterback. So. so a couple of guys that we've talked about on this show a lot as being basically guaranteed to pick up an injury in the course of an NFL season. Um, Teron Armstead at left tackle for the mm-hmm. Dolphins mm-hmm. and Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback yeah. now. Those two guys seem to be, you can basically budget in the fact that you're going to miss time for them in the course of the season. Yeah, Is that a case of what we talked about at the start of the show of 
now once those guys have picked up injuries, once they're dealing with things, it's just the knock-on effect that they will now pick up injuries because they are in a constant state of compensation for something. Yeah, I mean, they they really are. I mean, you look at, especially like Jimmy G, I, I mean, between his shoulder, his foot, his hand, he's had he's had a lot. Um, it's, it's almost as if um, they're not spending enough time just going back to the fundamentals of football and they're spending a little bit more time just kind of constantly rehabbing. Um, so you're going to see that with, with certain players. The other thing is um, people don't understand, like, football is – is very hard um, on a, as a sport to like complete a full season healthy. Like a good example yeah. is only 10% of wide receivers actually play a full season without getting injured. 10%. I mean, that's that's a low number. So when it comes to like missing a game or two, it it happens. It happens all over the place. I mean, I would almost like when I look at like somebody like Dalvin Cook, you chalk him up for two games. I mean, you just do, and it's the way and the nature of, of how he plays and his past injuries and everything like that. So with some of these guys, yeah, you're going to almost expect it. Um, you cross your fingers that it doesn't happen, especially for those higher-profile players, kind of like we talked about like with Mahomes, like, please don't go down, right? And if he does go down, let's get him as many anti-inflammatories in his ankle as we can and, and spat that up so he can come back and, and, and at least function on it. Um, but then there's, you know, there's always just going to be that risk. It's the nature of the game. Have you have you watched that um, quarterback show, the Netflix documentary? Yeah, yeah. How impressive was Mahomes playing through that high ankle sprain? Because typically when you hear high ankle sprain, it means the guy's out for a few weeks. For a few weeks yeah. minimum. And then he basically just, as you say, just tapes it up, gets back out there, can't really move on it. And then you see this, like, couple of week sequence of him playing through this busted ankle and still being Mahomes. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, outside of the medicinal purposes. Which was the one thing you never saw. Like, that <laughs> that was conspicuous in its absence from the, the quarterback show. It's like, oh, we go in here, we get our, you know, X-ray, we make sure nothing's broken, and then we go in at halftime, we get some mobility on it or whatever. It's like, yeah, did you get anything else on it? Like, right. a, you know, yeah, yeah, like was what anything else that, involved yeah. there, let's yeah. say. We're going to close the curtain now yeah. for a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, outside of that, I was fascinated. I mean, it just shows that how good of an athlete he is. The one thing with like high ankle sprains and quarterbacks that you have to think about is if you're like a straight drop back passer, like, you know, give me like a Kirk Cousins, he's actually really not going to have a good recovery that just for the fact that like he plants off of that leg so much, he's not, he doesn't have the ability that Mahomes has to contort his body, to shift his weight, throw off his front foot. I mean, in that show, when they showed the replay of him scrambling off to the right and then doing a jump pass in the, in the back of the end zone to Edward Hilaire, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, that's just, I mean, you can't replicate it. That's a different level. And so he, I think part of it is that he was able to just utilize his skills to not have to rely on that ankle for driving off and pushing off and and staying as mobile as he could for that period i mean it was fascinating it really yeah. was I, I i i do i would love to know how much painkillers he was given <laughs> over the course of that period of time to be able to play on that because i do like there is a degree to which obviously this is limited to certain injuries but if you could tape the thing solid and then get a painkiller yeah, you're kind of good to go. Yeah, and like add, I, the, add the adrenaline of playing. Yeah, exactly. Game. Like yeah. I had a really bad injury, ankle injury one time, and had a game that was coming up way sooner than whatever the timetable for recovery they gave me to come back was. But I had a friend who was a physio, and he came down for that one day and taped the thing solid as a rock yeah. 
took a bunch of painkillers and I'm like, I can't feel anything. And my ankle doesn't move. Like yeah. I can use it like a spring. <laughs> I can run off the tape. Right. And it doesn't matter that the ligament doesn't function anymore. It doesn't right. have to. Like its job is being done by this tape. Right. So I'm good. Yeah, his, that's, his ankle was casted. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. Mahomes is dealing with that, plus <laughs> like significantly more powerful painkillers, I would imagine, than, right. than the you know paracetamol that I was eating at the time. Right, so yeah. hence why we didn't see that part in those yeah. episodes. There's a degree <laughs> to which you can kind of understand that you know it's, it's a pain thing. And if you take the pain away, we don't have a problem anymore. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, one more name that I think comes up a lot, yeah. Michael Thomas. Oh, so, uh, yeah. Yep. Michael Thomas, a guy that has seemingly been dealing with injury for a number of years now. And I had this conversation with somebody recently that you're sort of like, who do you expect to have a good season within that New Orleans receiving core? Is it Chris Olave taking a big step year two? Is it Rashid Shahid? And you're sort of saying, well, if Michael Thomas comes back, and somebody was saying, well, yeah, but will he? Like, what is, why should we at this point project anything for Michael Thomas given? what his last couple of seasons has been right. like number one what has been happening with that number two can he finally shake that off yeah this is this is a good question um it's kind of crazy to think it feels like it was sooner but 2019 was his last right big year 2019 i mean it's been a while it's been a minute and um i look at i look at michael thomas and his last injury so he, he dislocated his second toe which is a strange injury in itself because it's not the toe that you really drive off of. That's a big toe. Um, but he did need surgery to repair the ligaments around it. So, you know, 50% of your push-off force when you're running comes from that big toe when you drive. And for him, not having to rely on that as much you'd think is a good recovery. But given his past, and especially with his ankle and foot injuries, I don't trust it. I just don't. I mean, and in 2021, he had what, the left ankle surgery, all right? And then he had a high ankle sprain in 2000. I mean, he's been recovering from foot injuries for a long, long time. And it's only getting further and further away from when he was at that elite level. Um, it's kind of funny in this, in this case, I have questions if he's gonna re return to his form at all. I mean, sure, there might be a world where he comes back and he's a, top three receiver in the NFL and everybody's like it's Michael Thomas again and there's a case that he's not even the top three on his team right you know but the funny thing is every time he's been back on the field he's looked like Michael Thomas yeah. it's just that it only lasts you know a couple of weeks and then we break something again and we're back to square one like he was last season he played three games and in those three games he scored three touchdowns had 22 targets 16 catches 171 yards like it was it was effectively Michael Thomas yep. And then we got injured and mm -hmm. now we're done for the season again and 2020 you know he had uh, a michael thomas like mini season and yeah. just not enough so like every time he does make it back to the field he still looks like he could play at, at an elite level and be a the best receiver certainly on the saints and one of the best in the game it's just that he doesn't seem to be able to stay on the field anymore right if, if you were if you were sitting there saying like he's had two years just the last two bad to bad bad luck back-to-back -back injuries maybe got forced back too soon sure i could see that bouncing back but it's been a long time and there was actually it was really strange too <clears throat> you remember how his last surgery was like delayed mm. so he was recovering and time. rehabbing and rehabbing and every week you're like i might come back he might yeah. come back and then all out of nowhere he was having surgery right that's also scary because what was happening is that his body was not responding well to the rehab approach and not responding well enough to where like there was clearly surgical indication at some point that he 
decided to opt out of because he wanted to come back and all it did was it, it delayed his healing time. So that's a big concern too is, I mean, he waited and waited and waited and he spent that entire time just trying to rehab and it wasn't working. So I see injury recurrence, like we talked about, like injury prone. I see that being, you know, a little bit asterisk next to his name compared to other players. Is that an issue generally where in the NFL, there's obviously clear incentive to not get the surgery sometimes, right? Because mm -hmm. you're, you're done. Now, if mm -hmm. you get the surgery, we now shut you down. You're not coming back for whatever that recovery period is. And it's probably the season in most cases. Yep. So there's clearly an incentive a lot of times to say, well, we could go for the surgery, but you're shut down tomorrow and you're not coming back till next year. Or we try and do it this way. It's got a lower chance. But theoretically, you could be back for the playoffs, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is, I think, intuitively in your brain, you sort of think, well, if you don't, if that doesn't work, you can always go do the surgery anyway. But is there actually a risk that going the rehab route and trying to do it that way and failing causes problems because you waited so long and didn't get the surgery day one? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely indicative of um, their progress and their potential after because if you're not going into surgery and you're trying to rehab and it's still not working, that's also a, a time period where um, your body's learning to compensate and probably do things a little bit the wrong way because it's so focused on the healing. Um, and then there's certain surgeries where they say like, hey, if you do have it, your success after having surgery is better. I mean, sure, everybody would prefer not to. I mean, these are right. high level athletes and I don't wanna have surgery. Like a shoulder dislocation is a great example. That's a long recovery if you have surgery after shoulder dislocations, but you don't have to necessarily all the time. But if you do, the recovery process, once you get that done, is much higher. It's just that you're now falling into that category of, I just had surgery, I'm out for this many months, right. and I'm just calling it quits on that. But do you generally change those dynamics by delaying in the first place? Like if, you, if you're given the choice, like, hey, right, shoulder dislocation, we can have the surgery, better chance of recovery, or we can try and, you know, stitch it together with rehab, et cetera. Um, do you actually change the chances of recovery or the dynamics of play there by saying, well, let's go this way. Let's try the rehab stuff first. And then mm -hmm. if we need to get the surgery down the road, we can do that. Yeah, you definitely change the dynamics. And it's more because um, in, in almost every injury case, I mean, there's a couple outliers, you have a higher risk of hurting it again or hurting something else around it if you don't go that route. And it's more because they clearly aren't ready. Like, I mean, Michael Thomas is a great example. He just, his body just didn't respond right. right. And he had to get to that surgery. So in that window where he didn't do the surgery, he had more and more likelihood that he was doing something wrong with other muscles or that he was going to recur an injury if he tried to step out on the football field again. And, you know, it inevitably just delayed it by six months and that's delayed healing, you know? So one more name I want to bring up. Yeah. And look, shout if I'm ever going beyond your area of expertise because uh -huh. this is getting some pretty specific stuff but damar hamlin obviously is one of the, the biggest yeah. stories to hit the nfl in years mm -hmm. <clears throat> we all saw what happened it was one of the most just incredible horrific insane <clears throat> things that's ever happened to on a football field um he's now cleared mm -hmm. like 100 percent medically cleared to resume football to come back to play again what should we be expecting first of all what, I, I think it's been <clears throat> the, when it happened nobody really knew what happened to him right, right? like what was this uh, then it, it came out pretty quickly that it was this thing called what was it commotio cordis where a sort of a badly timed hit effectively yep. around the heart area stops the heart shocks it into 
arrhythmia or whatever, and that was what did it. And then, you know, it became a giant conspiracy theory where people were pushing back, going, oh, it was the vaccine and, and blah, blah, right. right? I think now the established consensus is that it was this Camosio Cordis yep. thing. That's what did it. Um, and now he's been cleared. Are we, is this something that's just literally freak occurrence, right? You get hit, and this is something, I feel like as a kid, we all kind of knew this, that if you, it was possible, it was one of those things that you would tell other kids, it's like a scare story, right? If you, it's possible, if you get hit the wrong time in the wrong place, your heart stops and you just mm -hmm. drop dead. Yep. And it was kind of like, okay, yeah, but, you know, it's like being hit by lightning. It's something yeah. that can happen, but doesn't. Rare. Yeah. So I think we all kind of knew this anyway, and this was just evidence of that, that, uh, that chance in, op in, in effect, right? That right. one in a million or whatever it was, that was the one. We finally saw the one. It was a one. So is this just a case of that was the one in a million, it happened, they somehow, you know, saved him, brought him back to life, whatever you want to discuss now. And then now that it's done, it, that's your one in a million. Now it's like, what's the chance of that happening twice to him? You're, you're literally back to the reset the number, it's one in a million chance that it happens again. Or because we saw it happen to him, I mean, is this something that could happen again? Well, I mean, of course it is like one in a million, right? Which like could it's be, a rare yeah, chance. one in a million can happen consecutively. It's yeah. just, it's very unlikely for that to happen. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it, with DeMar's case, um, the, the best way you can put it, like in layman's terms, is his heart ticked when it should have talked. He got hit at the exact point when it just disrupted his heart rhythm. And then he got into a really, really bad situation of cardiac arrest. <clears throat> that can just happen. It, it, if it wasn't him, it was somebody else coming downhill that just got hit in an awkward, awkward time. There's not, I mean, the risk of that, and from what I've seen, is not go up because he's had it once. Right. It's just his biggest risk coming out is that he just spent that much time recovering. And his body <clears throat> went through something so traumatic that he has to recover and get back to his level of play. That, I, I mean, I think it could happen with anybody. It's interesting because I can't sit there and say, well, it's probably not going to happen for another five or 10 years. I mean, it could happen week one, right. but it's just such a rare occurrence. Um, and I don't see DeMar being affected in any way from that. It's just that he needs to get back to his football condition, get back to his level of play. Um, because all the studies that came out after that, I mean, he didn't have any heart issues. He didn't have any underlying arrhythmias or mm -hmm. anything like that. The complication literally just came from the impact. So Because that's... Like that's the, that's one element where it's not the same thing, but you know, the sort of sudden death syndrome or whatever, where we've seen the occasional high level athlete, uh, you know, um, Christian Erickson was mm -hmm. a player that it like, it reminded a lot of people of the Christian Erickson thing where he just dropped in mm -hmm. the middle of the, was it a Euros game or the, or the world cup game Euros. Um, and that was a similar thing, like scared the hell out of people. And eventually he, but his, he had an underlying heart problem, which exactly. they were then able to correct once they, like he has a pacemaker or whatever fitted now, because yep. there was something wrong initially that had just never come up before. Right. Whereas that's a different thing to this, like this world where every, any one of us, if we're hit at exactly the wrong time, at exactly the wrong point, can have that happen to them. It just almost never happens. Exactly. I mean, it's just so rare. I mean, you and I could be, you know, driving in the car and if we get T-boned and get hit the right way, it just, it is right. what it is. I think for, for him, um, I don't see any delay in his recovery as long as his, his rehab has been good so far with conditioning. Um, that's the only concern, to be honest. And I think that he's going to be 
good to go. And, you know, you kind of cross your fingers that you don't see something like that happen again on the field. And the fact that it, it, it's basically one of one at this point sort of indicates how unlikely it is to happen. Right. Like it could come along week one, but the chances are we'll never see that again because right. none of us have seen it in the first place. Like it took this long for this to ever happen on such a routine hit on such a relative, you know, a violent sport overall right. that it, I mean, it, it is like that one in a million, you know, lightning strike or whatever. It's just, right. just happened to him. Just yeah. insane for us to all watch it on like the biggest stage. Right. Like not only did it happen once, but it happened in prime time in one of the biggest games of the year on the biggest stage. Like it couldn't have been more like the only way it could have been a bigger deal is if it happened in the Super Bowl right. with everybody watching. Yeah. It's just such a, absolutely crazy um scenario yeah absolutely it was um all right so uh i'm gonna kind of open the floor to you if there's Mm -hmm. anything you specifically want to touch on and then we can uh wrap up with uh, a couple of quick hitting things to to end the show yeah i mean the one thing that i i think that i would like to touch on a little bit is you get into individual players and their injuries but what's kind of interesting is also team specific um so like one of the things that that you see is there is trends of teams that are more likely to be hurt than others. The Chargers. And yeah, the Chargers. Um, the other thing that you see too is that there is a, um, you know, a, a different in, in, in like even ACL tears for teams. So in the past decade alone, the Broncos have had 26 ACL tears. The Saints have had six. I mean, that's a huge difference. There's something underlying there right like it, it i mean i get one off in these seasons but if right. you actually look at the chart it's pretty consistent like i mean they they hit i mean the one with the broncos though i mean it is kind of weird like the year that vance joseph took out over they started to spike a little bit more in acl tears and maybe that was the regime he brought with strength and conditioning or whatever it mm-hmm. might have been but you do see trends with with injuries i mean you know the vikings for example um, over the last decade have had like less than 50 injuries compared to like the Redskins or the Jets who have had over 80. So there's some discrepancies in that, which to kind of, I just wanted to highlight points to the medical team, a little bit of the athletic trainers, the physical therapists, the strength and conditioning coach that plays a vital role in the team as a whole. So this chargers every year thing, mm-hmm. right? They're always one of the most injured, injured teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this constant joke that the team is is built on an Indian burial ground or whatever. Right. But like, if you're if you're the owner of the Chargers, this is something that has to be coming from the medical staff, the strength and conditioning staff, like something as part of the organization. That at this point, it's almost negligent not to have fixed it. Like, it's been such a long-standing, consistent thing. You are always at the high end of the injury chart in the NFL. We can deal with, like, we can fix this. The Vikings were good anyway and then hired the guy from the Rams who had been at the head of one of the least injured teams in the NFL for years. Like, you can go and find these guys to come in and fix the fact that everybody keeps going down. Right. Well, I think the one thing that I have to highlight about uh, the Chargers is their wins above replacement adjusted injury is high. So you hear about these big-name players Mm -hmm. that get injured and – it's more in the media it's it's more evident that like they're going to be affected like a good example is like the the wins above replacement adjusted list has the Bengals as the number one affected team basically meaning that their most significant players are injured 
and they impact the team that much more right. rather than you know special teamers and stuff like that so that's another thing with the chargers is it's more dealing with like wh why are these really higher end uh, significant players getting injured all the time um is it just per chance that they're the type of players that they get on their team are more violent i mean you look at somebody like mike williams who I feel like every other play, he's catching a jump ball and landing on his back pretty hard. Right. Or is it something that's deeper rooted? And I, I can't tell you. Like I, I don't know specifically what their routine in the off season is, what they're doing. Um, but I can tell you that like they have been really impacted by that like war injured list. Yeah, it's important players that go down for them as well. Are right. they also high on the like the non-war adjusted list? Just the frequency. They're of just injuries? they're just middle of the road, which okay. is interesting. And actually, you know, the one thing about them is they. I don't know if you if you really care about the the climate and the all of that, but like I mean. You know, they play in uh, a warmer climate. They're basically, you know, all these guys that are playing are used to that. And then when they go and shift to somewhere else that's colder, that takes a toll on your body too. And that can cr create more injuries. There's been studies on that, like how um, players that tend to get be used to playing in a cold climate can be healthier in cold weather play versus players that are used to warmer climates. You legitimately get hardened by, by existing yeah. in Green Bay or Buffalo during yeah. the winter? Oh, yeah. But Brett Favre, man. All right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I but I mean, I, honestly, um, it's really hard to tell if it is their rehab team and if it is some underlying you know coaching issues for the Chargers specifically. But is there enough data at this point to conclude that this is something they should be able to fix? Like, obviously, you're never going to be able to. You, can, you can't can't go, we hire this guy and we become the best, you know, injury team in the NFL. But you can say, okay, for a long period of time now, we have been bad or under, you know, below average. We can fix that. Yeah, you'd hope so. Like, I mean, you'd hope so. I just used that example with the Broncos with 26 yeah. ACLs. It's not like they were the highest at 26 and the least was the Saints at 20. I mean, there was a 20-person difference of ACL tear. Yeah. There's something, right? And, I mean, there's enough data out there. There's enough personnel, and and there's enough medical teams around the United States that probably could look into that and identify some of the key issues. So, so this, is this, like, this is one of those things that, you know, we talk all the time about whoever is sort of setting the highest level agenda of an organization, whether this falls under the purview of the general manager or the team president or the owner, Somebody needs to have identified this and said, this, this shouldn't happen. Yeah. Like, this is something we can fix. Yeah. Like, this is a, clearly a problem. This costs us games. This right. causes us to not do what we want to do. And all that, solves, all, that, all that stops us fixing it is essentially money and, and actually trying to do it. Right. Like, hey, the fact that so. we're happy with the status quo and we haven't changed anything. Right. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, like, you and I probably, it's really easy to say, like, step back, sure. look at the big picture. I mean, you need to find the guy, et cetera. Yeah. And you, you know, you've got a million other things to deal with. But, like, right. this is a pretty important one. You I, know? Think, I think even, too, like, I mean, you, you, we, can, we can look at the overall picture and say, like, this team gets so many injuries. And but when you're dealing with them in season, you're dealing with one injury at a time, one player at a time, and it probably is easy for them to just kind of get so focused right. and centered on like that issue that they're neglecting the fact that like this has occurred for the last five years straight and we haven't done anything. And that's so. probably I think that's probably very true for teams that like you don't sort of but the charges have become such a meme with this, you know, or such a like <laughs> oh, yeah. it's become such a narrative that you would think minimum they would be aware of that and be looking into it. Whereas team like Denver like I was not aware of the ACL thing until you mm -hmm. brought it up so 
I can definitely imagine a team like Denver just being zeroed in and not even being aware of that. But a team like the Chargers, we were like, okay, it's now a running joke in the NFL that <laughs> right. you guys are in this bucket. Right. At the very minimum, you would expect somebody in that organization to have looked into it and to have, you know, taken a swing at making some changes right. to fix this. Have you guys seen these memes, these right. tweets coming out about it? Whereas, us? you know, you can <laughs> kind of paint a picture that Denver just hasn't noticed, actually, that we've got way more ACL injuries yeah. than a bunch of other people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. All right. Anything else you want to touch on? Uh, no, no, I think, I mean, pretty much that's it. There's, there's uh, some fascinating information out there with this. Like, you know, I got to say that, you know, between some of the sites that I use like draft sharks or, um, you know, David Chow is a, a pro football doc that mm -hmm. I, I do and getting help from some of my, you know, assistants like, uh, Nathan Schramm and some of these guys that look into this, there's so much information out there. I think the hardest part is just collecting it. And then, you know, I'm really fortunate to be on the rehab side of things to kind of see it through. Um, and it's just, it's just awesome to see that like, you know, from football fan perspective that we can look at the game from the lens of like injury and rehab and seeing how that's going to portray them into the next year as far as their progress and productivity on the field. I think it's pretty cool. We talked a little bit about concussions before we went live. Um, do you envisage any future problems for Tua above and beyond, you know, again, the, the sort of the generic any other quarterback because he dealt with what he dealt with last year? Mm -hmm. Like we hear a lot about, you know, second, in, second impact syndrome and the, the fear of getting a second concussion in short order at the first. But is this similar to some of the other injuries we talked about where once you have that break where you shut down, you don't do anything, you take the time needed, you are no longer at further risk or not at an, an increased risk. It's simply that acute period where you take the first hit, you put them back out, and that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, I this is where I see it becoming a bigger issue for somebody like Tua is when we talk about CTE and that right. chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which basically tells you that there's nerve damage in your brain. And the studies that are coming out now with these players like later in life um, that is where I see some of the issues coming. I'm sure that Tua right now today feels great, and he probably couldn't tell you that he had any concussions last year. But I do think that the awareness of like CTE has come out to where he's definitely concerned about that, and um, and and that might be something where he gets number three just randomly. It gets a heightened risk. But are those so? Almost certainly, Tua's situation that he dealt with last year created some kind of lasting impact in terms of you know but uh, some kind of like cte risk or, or whatever yep is that directly connected with an increased risk of getting the next concussion like so if he has some kind of lasting long-term cte impact that, that he's going to be dealing with later in life or even that that is simply there and doesn't necessarily manifest in symptoms or whatever is that now definitely increasing a future risk of concussions or are those two things slightly independent of yeah you can have the damage from the last time you got concussed but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're more likely to get concussed you know next week yeah i mean it, it's independent in the sense of like how much time is between but um i mean studies show that the more concussions you have the more susceptible you are okay so uh i definitely could see if there was still, especially if there was still any type of swelling or anything like that in the brain, that that could be a major impact. I mean, it, it's just interesting with with concussions too. 
the ways that quarterbacks are protected now. Um, I mean, you're not really seeing a ton of helmet to helmet concussions. It used to be like 61% and that's dropped all the way down to like 32% of concussions come from helmet to helmet. And so you look at Tua, it was helmet to ground, yeah. which takes about a third of the concussion percentage that you see nowadays. And what that tells me is that's kind of a, a chance, you know, he just gets hit wrong and he f- hits the ground wrong. It, it could be drastic implications for him. So. I mean, I think he's also at more risk for that because of his size. Mm-hmm. Like a guy like Josh Allen is, you're not capable of throwing him into the turf with the same level of force as you are a guy like Tua because he right. weighs a fraction of the, the amount. Like he's, he's more of a passenger in those situations than some of these other bigger quarterbacks are. Absolutely. That, I feel, puts him at a bigger risk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, it, all of that pl- kind of plays into it. You, you see somebody like him, and he's he mobile too, right? So right. his chances of getting hit even outside the pocket now and are he looks like So he, a couple of things this offseason. Apparently he took up judo or something to learn like how to fall effectively yeah. and not, you know, not brain himself on the ground. But also he appears to have done like the reverse Russell Wilson where he's gotten thick in the offseason. Like he's put on some weight. And I'm, I'm kind of interested by that in that I don't even know that it matters if it's good weight or not. Like if he's put on 20 pounds of fat, it might actually not matter. Like the point is he's 20 pounds heavier, which means he's 20 pounds more difficult to throw at the turf if you're a defensive right. tackle. Like that probably is actually important for him. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Regardless of whether it's good weight or not. Like – Sure, that the good like good weight versus bad weight might impact mobility or whatever, but like it actually might simply be beneficial to him to have just added mass. Oh yeah, I mean I hear what you're saying because I, I can I can remember just all the times that I watched Ben Roethlisberger just shrug off one hand grabs on his right. jersey that would probably yank Tua down, right? So I mean I definitely see what you're saying there, and um, with the stuff that he's been doing in the off season, that's all just like protection, you know. Like yeah. a great example is. Um, uh, Kyler Murray, as mobile as he is, is one of the least hit quarterbacks when it comes to scrambling outside the pocket. Why? Because he knows how to slide. Maybe it's back to his baseball days. <laughs> he needs to. Yeah, but he needs to, right? Where Tua needs to. He needs to learn how to get down. Yeah. And um, if he gets in the grasp of some of these linemen and he's thrown down like a rag doll, well, you're just at that risk now again. So, All right, let's, uh, let's wrap this with the, the quick hitting things mm-hmm. we talked about. Um, yeah. Who are you most confident in for like a healthy, complete return this year? Yeah, this goes just a little bit against the narrative with the age thing, but I'm most confident in Cooper Cup. Um, I've followed his rehab. He is a specimen when it comes to rehab. I mean, to the point of where like he's suggesting things to the physical therapist, like, <laughs> hey, maybe we should try this, you know? So he is not only that as far as just um, that standard of just his intensity and his work ethic, but he had a really good surgery, that tightrope surgery that I talked about before. So the um, ankle instability that he was dealing with is pretty much gone. He's had a long time to rehab it. Um, I see him coming back and having you know no issues as far as that or his ACL since he's two years out. So um, I think that he's gonna have a pretty good return, I'm confident. All right, so flip side of that is who you're least confident in for a healthy return, and we've covered some of these already. Yeah, I would say I would say Javante for sure. We've talked about him and his his knee issues, and then I would definitely also say Cam Akers. And the reason I I think Cam is just I I didn't fall in love with him when I watched him come back from his Achilles. Um, when you have an Achilles issue, you're worried about like sural nerve damage and having some of that. You're also worried about um, just the explosiveness of planting off that foot. Um, I'm really interested to see what he can do. Um, but if he's lost that explosiveness, 
you know, you could kind of see him being a middle tier running back and not kind of reach his potential. Um, what's one bold prediction for an injury recovery? Yeah, like mine, mine definitely is going to be, I think, I think that the Broncos are going to be signing somebody to fill in for Javante. I think it's all hype. You, you and especially with with Sean Payton, he has a great way to just like beat around the bush when it comes to talking to media. Right. Um, but he had the most confusing comment I've ever heard. He was like, "Well, probably most likely get him back during the season." Well, I just, I don't know what that means. So. For me, I feel like they don't have a ton of confidence in where Javante is going to be. I see that that's going to be a delayed recovery and that you're going to come in with um, uh, some other high-end free agent and just see how that feels. All right, and then who's the player you're most intrigued, most interested to watch following an injury last year? I got to say Brock Purdy, and the reason is he had just an interesting injury that you don't see a lot. He had a UCL repair with an internal repair. And so only two other quarterbacks actually had this exact surgery. Which is not... Tommy John, right? Not and Tommy specifically John. Specifically, not that. Yes, Tommy John is a full reconstruction. Steve is very concerned about because you know yes. a baseball pitcher. Yeah, so it's not Tommy John. Tommy John is like a reconstructive where this is the repair where they actually use the um, body itself to do a lot of the healing, which might put him around a six month recovery. Um, but it's really interesting that the other quarterback that has had this um, surgery is Purdy's backup. So they're sitting there knowing that this is not necessarily the most common, but if everything goes according to plan, he's sitting there for a six-month recovery, maybe is back week one or two. The reason I'm most interested in... Purdy's backup being... Um, he is not coming to my head right now. Brock Purdy's backup had the same UCL injury. Backup with the 49ers. Mm -hmm. So Trey Lance or Sam Darnold. Yeah, no, there's an, the other backup for him last year. Oh, last uh, who was there? Who was the backup last year? It was the same. I mean, he was number three in the list. Uh, they went through. Oh, Josh Johnson. Yeah. Right. Um, so what's going to happen for, for um, Purdy specifically is really interesting. I think that he has um, – I mean, we watched his arm – when he got hurt and it just wasn't doing anything. Right. Um, he has a, just an interesting recovery because you can't look at it like baseball. You can't look at it like a Tommy John. I mean, those guys are pitching more, throwing at a higher velocity. Um, I just want to see if, how his zip on the ball is. I want to see how he feels, how he, um, how he can throw, and, and what he can get from that. All right. I think, I mean, I think unquestionably Brock Purdy is one of the most interesting guys to mm -hmm. watch. I mean, that whole dynamic of the 49ers quarterback room what he looks like right out of the gate, how long it's going to take. I am really intrigued generally as to how much sort of wiggle room they give him, mm -hmm. you know, because cause the whole thing about Purdy is he was such a freak case in the first place of, you know, Mr. Irrelevant looking like the best quarterback they've had in a long period of time, but in a really small sample size mm -hmm. in an offense that we know is kind of a cheat code for general quarterback play and success. Right. So if he looks like crap, right away like how long do they give him before they say either the injury or he just went on a crazy run last year is not either one is not coming back like now we right. need to make a change here i am sort of fascinated by what that ease in process looks like and mm -hmm. how much time they give him if he doesn't look like he looked last year immediately like i think that whole dynamic is going to be really interesting to watch because right. 
Like, if he comes back and immediately struggles, and even if it's in training camp, like, if he's struggling right out of the gate, the pressure on that team to make a change in some way, shape, or form is going to be huge. Right, and then and you're like, is Trey Lance ready? Right. Or are we going to Sam Darnold, who has more similar style play? And simply and how much, like, commitment and determination do you have to give Brock Purdy the kind of time? Like, if you're Kyle Shanahan and you know that it's going to look rough right out of the gate, you know, he's going to, it's going to take him a little bit of time. Like, do you have the determination and the fortitude to stick with that as you watch all the interceptions happen you know what i mean or as you watch like all the bad play it's one these are like it's a little bit like those rookies where all the time you hear ah we're gonna sit them year one and then by week four it's like i've seen enough of this crap i don't care been the game plan i don't like i know we we didn't plan on starting him but i we have to we've got to throw him out now like even knowing that this is like i know this is the plan he's not gonna look good right away we're going to ride through it. We're going to get to the other side. Then we get it great. Like two weeks into that, are you like, okay, it's, yeah. it was fine in theory, but when the rubber meets the road, we're making the change. Yeah, especially lines, get out there. Yeah, especially with all the weapons they have. Like they got, I mean, they've got to find a way to utilize them. And uh, Nick Mullins was the backup. Mm. It wasn't yeah, okay. Yeah, gotcha. and he had he had that same surgery at the UCL. So that that comparison there. But um, no, I 100% agree. It's going to be interesting. I think he's kind of on. It's weird to think a player that productive last year is kind of on a hot seat, but he is. I think the team is set up to do a lot of big things, and they have such an interesting quarterback situation. Like everybody is kind of talking about Brock Purdy and his and his injury, and then I'm sitting there like, don't forget Trey Lance broke his ankle. Like he's still coming back, right? So you have you have two quarterbacks that are banged up. One that you had a huge high investment in in draft capital, and then you have Sam Darnold sitting there, just like, hey, I'm still here, right? You know, so it's going to be interesting. And Darnold obviously has dealt with his own injuries in yep. the past. He's had some significant ones as well. Yeah. All right, Vic, that's been the show today. Oh, Thanks cool. so much for uh, coming down to the studio here and. Uh, educating us all a little bit on on injuries and all that kind of stuff well thanks for having me man i really appreciate it it's been fun awesome so hopefully you guys have enjoyed the injury show as well we'll be back tomorrow with trevor sikama don't forget to uh check out the youtube channel go find that video of steve and me attempting rugby skills and looking tragically unfit and unhealthy (laughs) and just just disgusting but go see it it's fun um and a big shout out to the uh, houston saber cats of major league rugby for hooking us up with those videos that's been the show today we'll uh, talk to you tomorrow